0: Guys, thank you, uh, thank you so much for for joining. For those of you who haven't had a chance to read through the comments, who are just joining uh, right now, um, I am going to be doing something a little bit different. I'm going to be trying something a little bit different. I'm sure this has been done uh, other places, uh, but basically, what I'm trying to do is to make a live uh, podcast. At least at the live at the time of the recording, maybe not at the time of the posting. Um, and the idea here is. Um, to make it uh, live and more interactive than normal. So uh, think of this like um, the Free Thinker Group page on Facebook. Really, what I'm trying to do is um, to have <clears throat> some type of uh, short uh, thought or comment or argument or something along those lines, and then open it up for five or ten minutes of discussion with uh, whoever here, with comments or questions. If people can't join on the mic, put questions in. Um, or and then and then move on to another topic and to see what we can get uh, done and discussed in about an hour and a half or, or two hours. So um, that is the hope and the goal of this. So if you are uh, right now, I have uh, True Counterphobia and Matt Yester in the audio with me. There's some other people in the chat. If you are listening to this and this is already on iTunes, you are too late. Um, you're too late to join the conversation. This was uh, pre recorded on Discord. If you head over to the Freed Thinker group page on Facebook, there will be a link. Um, you do need to download or jo- uh, join Discord um, and keep an eye out for the promotions for later episodes. I'll be playing around with this to see uh, how it goes. So, uh, with that, I'm going to dive right in. Uh, right now, it looks like, uh, again, just True Canophobia kind of and Matt are listening. Can you guys, are you guys? in and and actually here or you just uh logged in but afk af afk
1: yeah i'm here oh, what's up man right. how are you doing
0: i'm good man how are, how you? are you
1: doing well doing well
0: good Good, good. All right. Uh, well, as people come in, hopefully um, they'll be uh, muting their microphones, but again, uh, join in the discussion. Um, please feel free to put comments or questions into the comment field if you want to do it that way. Uh, and that way I can get to those. If you do have a question, uh, if you're listening in but don't want to go on the microphone and you do have a question, feel free um, to go ahead and put a comment into the comments field. Um, but then you uh, put like a... Uh, you know, question in all caps or something along those lines, that way uh, I can see those or you can tag me in it and it'll highlight it for me so I can see it. All right, so with that, I'm going to jump into this. This is a, uh, this first episode that I'm going to test it with. I thought it'd be a good, uh, a good topic to test this with because there's lots of uh, different, you know, random thoughts or arguments or whatever it be. This is going to be somewhat of a Calvinist cornucopia, um, just kind of a spattering of different um different thoughts or arguments or reflections and then open it up to discussion i think everyone here um for the most part is is calvinistic or reformed um was hoping to get some some arminians and provisionists and lutherans and atheists uh, you know whoever coming in for these types of things Uh, again the um the youtube channel which would have been much easier to go live on is really dedicated to apologetics dealing with unbelievers and atheists so if you if you do hear this and you're an atheist, head on over to The U, uh, to the Freed Thinker on YouTube. Um, but if you are interested in these in-house Christian discussions, next time there's an episode up, uh, please join the Discord and join the discussion because obviously we'd like to have some more opinions and some dissenting opinions. All right, so with that, I am going to jump right in um, with some thoughts about—let's <laughs> start off— Let's start off easy with a conversation about double predestination and equal ultimacy. Um, So I I saw this question in a Facebook group, and it was a great question to really help illustrate why the majority of reformed folk like myself would affirm double predestination, but we would really deny what's called equal ultimacy. And for those of you who don't know what those are, I'll, I'll give definitions here in just a moment. Uh, But really, uh, oftentimes, non-Calvinists will have a hard time understanding the difference between these two. And often they'll think that we have a hard time differentiating between these two and that we're making a distinction without a difference. So I thought this was a good chance to explain the differences and why those concepts matter within the framework or the matrix of Reformed theology. So in very basic terms... Double predestination is the view that God has elected those to everlasting life in Christ, which is His church, while at the same time He has reprobated. That's either He's passively passed over, uh, or He's actively reprobated them. There's there's some disagreement in the Reformed world, but ha- however He does that, either active or password, He has uh, He has chosen the reprobate, the, the unbeliever uh, to to everlasting death. That is double predestination. That is, God has predestined both sides of the coin, those who are saved and those who are not. Now, equal ultimacy is the view, it's it's a further extrapolation of double predestination, equal ultimacy is the view that God is just as active in election as he is in reprobation. So, in double predestination is simply the statement that God has decreed and determined the destinies of every human being, right? God, God is God, we are not. Equal ultimacy, then, is a specific—and and, and by the way, nearly all Calvinists, myself included, think that equal ultimacy is false. Right, we, we do not affirm equal ultimately by and large. I know it's online, and you'll always be able to find like one person somewhere in like a back alley of hyper Calvinismville that affirms something like this. But uh, you know, throughout throughout uh, reform history, Calvinists have thought that this view was demonstrably false. So, so equal ultimacy is a specific view where in the same way that God is active in redemptive history to regenerate the elect by his irresistible grace, that he, that he acts upon them by the Holy Spirit, that he works through the gospel, that he calls people inwardly, that he, that he does all of these active things in bringing about salvation for the elect, equal ultimacy says that God is just as active— in reprobating the unbeliever, that he's active in keeping them from coming the truth, that he's active in blinding them, that he persistently hardens their heart and so on and so forth all the way up until the point of judgment and death. Now, typically, the reform view is that God has decreed the destinies of all people, but that while all people, born with a sin nature and choosing the sin that they desire to do— that god doesn't need to do anything for the unbeliever to remain a reprobate that that is that, that that people who are dead in their sin love to stay dead in their sin god doesn't have to do any do anything he doesn't he doesn't need to persist people in their reprobation he's only active in calling and regeneration of the believer because uh they you know the, the dead person is and i know that this is uh not the the perfect exegetical way to handle this passage but he's only active in calling and regenerating the believer in the same way that jesus didn't need to do anything for Lazarus to stay dead but he did need to do something he did need to be active to call Jesus or call Lazarus out uh, of the tomb and back to life that is we're all sinners by nature and by choice, and that this is accomplished without any intervention by God. But for the elect, for the commuting of the sentence, and for the changing of our nature, God needs to intervene. And we see this in passages like 1 Corinthians 2 that say that the natural man cannot accept the things of the Spirit and the mysteries of the gospel, and that we cannot come unless God draws us to himself in passages like John 6. Now, you may not agree uh, with with the Reformed view on on these two things. Um, You may disagree with one or with both. You may think that neither of them is a biblical view, and that's fine. But these are the Reformed concepts that within their framework, it's right to say that we did not choose God and that God chose us while not saying that people don't reject God. They reject him by nature. But without God, no one could choose uh, him because of our sinful nature. So both are predestined, but not equally ultimate. So with that, within, again, with the spirit of this being kind of a, a larger interaction, I want to uh, ask uh, anyone here if they have, uh, what, you know, what are their thoughts? What are their comments uh, on, those, on those two things? Jimmy always showing up right in the, <laughs> at the last moment. True counterphobia. What's up? What do What are your thoughts?
2: Well, you know, I generally agree with those two. Uh, the sentiment that uh, God does play an active role in saving some and not others. Um, however, I have been toying around with this idea that not only does God elect certain people, but then it's up to the elect to sort of spread the message to other people, which may not or may be elect, and i just don't know how to how to navigate that one
0: so so um may, let me see if i let me see if i'm understanding you right you're you're, you're having this idea that um you know someone got god is active in, in bringing about someone uh to salvation but then oh this is gonna be a terrible example uh kind of like a virus <laughs> <laughs> that spreads and we spread that to other people uh, and that god but but in a sense that god uses us uh to 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 bring about and to and to realize that the, the election of other people
2: yeah but as far as um are those other people that receive the gospel from the elect are they themselves elect that's where i i don't know
0: okay <clears throat> so okay i think I, I think i understand what you're saying so um you know is it possible that there is kind of this this middle ground that there are those who are elect; they're guaranteed to salvation. There's uh, the reprobate who are not, and then there's this middle ground, which are kind of uh, it, it's not that it's up to us. I mean, I I know you well enough to know that you would you would say that um, you know God is still active in their salvation, but that um, that that really it's it's kind of the rubbing shoulders with the elect that 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 potentially saves them. Is that
2: yeah? So like as the gospel is preached. As the gospel is preached, people receive the Holy Spirit. And, but the question is, because um, Paul says, you know, people can preach the gospel and not be elect and basically save people based on the gospel message. But at the same time, I'm wondering okay, so you have uh, the elect that, like Paul, that had this crazy conversion story. He's set to go out and preach to the Gentiles. And I just don't know that I see the same sort of uh, election in the Gentiles, not because they're Gentiles, but because um, they're not, you know, sent ones. They're not uh, sort of people that need to be so active in saving other people. But that doesn't mean that um, they were, how do I say this? Yeah, there's a middle ground. Yeah, there's this middle ground that how do you know who's elected, who's basically going into the door? Um, you know, sometimes God will lead someone, say, hey, come here. I'm going to show you this really cool place and go into the door. And they go into the door and they're saved. Where other people, they're like, uh, people are within the room and they're calling out, out of the room, hey, come into the door. And so maybe people are saying, "Oh, that might be a good idea. I might want to go into the door." That's maybe how I would say it.
0: Okay, I, I think I know what you're saying. Um, I, I, you know, f- you know, take it for what it's worth. I, I don't think that that would that would. Um, well, I don't exactly know what to do with that, to be honest. I mean, it, it falls outside of reformed categories, right? Because the the in a reformed category. Um, there really only is two types, right? There, there really only are sheeps and goats, right? Elect and reprobate. Um, and the idea is that any who come to salvation, they, they come, you know, not, not material or efficiently because they're elect, but teleologic, you know, in, in kind of a, a, the, the, the telos sense, you know, a final cause type of sense, they come because they're elect. Um, so, so really, you know that that middle ground. <clears throat> if if one of those people in the middle ground they come, you know, so so you know they come by the preaching of Paul or something who was chosen to preach the gospel, for example. Um, if they come to salvation, it's you know the the Reformed understanding is going to say, well, well, in the background, kind of behind the curtains um god uh, god was working uh, all things together right this is this is the you know all those that that god uh you know uh, foreknew he predestined all those he predestined uh he called all those he called he, he justified right so you have this this golden chain of redemption such that if if you're in the justified group you 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 were already there at the very beginning in the foreknown and the predestined group um so so i would just say well the, that that middle ground from our perspective kind of from the human perspective I mean we don't no one's walking around with like a god-given birthmark that's in the shape of an e that lets everyone know that they're elect or something like that so from our perspective it might you know it, it, it appears um you know we don't know who the elect is we you know' I, we, we're, we're not to give up hope on anyone um that they're that they're elect or reprobate i mean we continue to pray uh, for people's salvation my no you know I, I come from a non-christian home and um, you know, my, my my most of my family is not Christian, and they, they, you know I've been a Christian for twenty years, and uh, you know, thankfully, uh, my sister has become a Christian, but most of the the rest of my family is not, um, and and uh, and 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 I continue to pray for them, but I, but I don't say, well, you know, they've had their they've had their twenty years, they must be reprobate, you know, I move on. Um, so I mean, I, I don't know if that if that helps kind of clarify, but I would just say that that within within these reformed categories. Um, someone either is uh, elect or reprobate, and that just is whether they're they're saved or not. Whether or not you know uh, God God draws them to the Son. like it says in, in John six. No one can come to me unless the Father, uh, who who sent me, draws them. Um, so, or you know, or or in First Corinthians where it says the natural man can accept the things of the Spirit. Well, well why? Because the, the the Spirit of God is the is the uh, is the re- is the thing that regenerates them. It brings them back to life so that they can they can express faith uh, and, and receive that life. So, um, definitely an interesting thought. Um, and I, and I appreciate, I appreciate that. So Matt, anything true?
2: Yeah. I just want to say thanks for explaining that. And, uh, you know, of course I don't think that we, I'm a monergist, right? I don't think that, you know, we actually will ourselves into salvation, but anyways, thanks for explaining that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if uh, Matt or Grady or or Jimmy uh, want to chime in anything before we go on to the next one.
1: That was on point. Uh, yeah, uh, just before First Corinthians two, you got First Corinthians one there. You know, uh, starting at verse eighteen onwards, you know, describing the perishing ones, the gospel's foolishness, a stumbling block, and then to those who are called, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. He's laying out that dichotomy all the way through the entire first chapter. You can go into chapter two, so.
0: Yeah, I've always I've always found it interesting um, when when uh, you know someone who like you know like a latent flowers or someone who's a provisionist or and they try to really argue against what I what I think is rather clear in First Corinthians two um, by saying well this is dealing with Christians and and moving on to uh, you know from, from childish things and moving on to meat and uh, and, and so on and so forth. Um when the categories I mean I mean part of that is true, the application is true. The the believers aren't to be carnal or not to go back to our, our natural selves and and kind of ignore the prodding of the spirit. But the but the but we wouldn't say that the, the Christian is a is a natural man who just doesn't understand understand the things of the spirit because the the like you said and going going in through First Corinthians one and leading into the beginning of chapter two, the things of the spirit. Just are, I mean, it just is the gospel. It's 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 described as you know what's foolishness to the Gentiles, for example. So um, you know, a go- the gospel just is the paradigmatic example of the things of the Spirit, which the natural man doesn't understand and doesn't accept. So uh, I I just I, I think first and foremost this is de- this is dealing with with unbelievers in their natural state. Uh, so thank you for bringing up that connection. Um, all right, let's go to let's go into another one. Uh, This one is short. I don't have, I don't have as much of a, of a lead in Um, and, and looking again at the names here, uh, you know, most people are, (laughs) uh, are, are uh, similar in, in persuasion. So, you know Um, but one, one of the, the things that I find interesting is that those who affirm some type of libertarian incompatibilism or um, you know, the, the, the provisionists and, and some, you know, evangelical Arminians um, they're, they're, they're gonna a lot of times um, uh, reject the, the reformed concept of the two wills of God, um, and and they will the, often they'll do it rather incredulously, right? They they'll they'll um, they'll dismiss it as as a fancy, as unbiblical, and all these kind of things, um, uh, even though we can point to explicit passages uh, as, uh, such as in Deuteronomy eighteen, which which specifically. Uh, reference uh these these two different these two different wills but um I, th- I i've always thought there's there's i've always thought the two wills is rather unavoidable um depending on your view so if we think of something you know let, let's not even go towards towards sin right where where there's this there's this idea that sin is only there because people you know freely choose it right so let's let's even let's even go away from that let's talk about you know, a hurricane or, or a tsunami like the one uh, that that hit. Uh, I think it was the what was it the east coast of, of, of Japan uh, something along lines. It kills like killed like two hundred thousand people. Maybe maybe it was Vietnam. Um, I, I don't remember the exact country. It's like six or seven years ago. Um, or, or or diseases that, that, that kill animals, right? Just often the woods nowhere. There's it has no impact on human society outside of some you know you know maybe an idea of a butterfly effect or something. Um, but you, you have these di- these diseases that kill animals and humans in, in these very agonizing in these very agonizing ways right <clears throat> in in one sense I, I want to ask well I, does God want that tsunami to to kill you know a hundred thousand people? Um, if if the answer is no then then we can then we have to ask the question well why doesn't God stop the tsunami? right and it, and it seems to me that no matter what answer someone gives it's going to be of a two wills type of answer it's going to be well god doesn't god doesn't want the the hurricane and the tsunami to kill people in kind of this immediate um moral sense right god obviously you know i i think even a calvinist you know when we're talking about you know a, a you know a, a, like a moral will a revealed will type of sense it doesn't always have to be prescriptive i think we would say well god doesn't it's not like God's sitting there, like, laughing and pleased that it kills, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Um, but at the same time, no matter what your view, God allows it, right? So so unless you're an open theist, which actually makes the, the problem even harder because then God couldn't even know that good things are coming out of it. But but on any view, you have to have this idea that God allows the tsunami, even though he doesn't want it, because he wants something else. He wants some other goods that come out of it. He wants, you know, maybe it kills the, the, these thousands and thousands of people, um, but it brings about the salvation of thousands of people in indirect ways down the line, or um, it avoids some greater evil, or you know, there, there's all these types of there's all these types of questions that come about. And so i I've I, I've I've asked this many many times over the years, and I just don't ever really get a good answer um, about how that isn't a two-wills, uh, a two-wills theology. So I, I would love to get, I would love to get your guys's, uh, you know, everyone's thoughts here uh, on, on whether or not a two-wills theology is, is avoidable on any view. Um, so, so uh, let's throw it open. What are you, what are your thoughts? No. <laughs> just simple. No, just not. No. Well, I mean,
2: yeah, no, I mean, God wills what He wills, and there's the difference between His commands and His sovereign will, right? So, but yeah, I mean, whatever God wills is part of His sovereign will, so it's pretty open and shut bookcase, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe Matt, maybe you can play devil's advocate and try to put yourself in 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 their shoes or something. Uh, well, or, or, or Jimmy, you say where
1: people say, uh, well, like, you know, now we've got like multiple wills in God. I can say you can understand that uh, regarding aspects of the one will of God. Um, I always use an illustration, you know, when you see his decretive will, if you believe in an eternal creative decree, ordains all things to come to pass, that includes the revealing of his prescriptive will, given we're made in his image, uh, covenantally, the law given to Israel. That was a uh, thing that happened via the decree of will, but that was revealing his nature and character to us as man being created in his image, also revealing that covenantally to the Jews. And then we also have, you know, the permissive aspect. We're able uh, to break that prescriptive will, but can't go against his decree. So I see them as aspects, maybe of one will, but I know we can distinguish between, you know, stating this type, uh, this aspect, you know, in relation to this aspect, but it can still be within the Prescriptive would be a subset of the decree of will, and then permissive as a subset there. Um, so I can understand uh, if you didn't, like, separate them out, because they're thinking, like, they are, like, parallel lines that, like, don't meet. Uh, this will is completely contradictory to the other will, and they just say, they flatten it out and say, well, therefore, contradiction. I see it as, uh, as aspects within the one will of God. Um, you can kind of see that, you know, in Scripture being laid out, uh, creates the world, reveals his nature and character to us, especially in that covenantal form so uh we have the revealing of his of his precepts, the laws given man held accountable as as an image bearer, um and that's all within his creative will, so these right. are all in that main umbrella uh aspect of, of i would say of his will uh just another sort of point on the other one uh, regarding you know natural disasters and stuff like that um um uh, uh, what we call, you know, uh, natural calamity. Uh, the text I always bring up is Job 14, 1 through five. That uh, speak about man in general. Just um, even apply to Christ in His incarnate state. Uh, God determines very uh, length of our days, and that's confirmed by the psalmist in Psalm one through In Your book, all your days, uh, or all my days are written, you know, uh, ordained for me. Yet, yeah, when the, and there was uh, the, none of those, So I think those are texts that I don't really see the non-reform guys really bringing up. Those are pretty strong texts. So,
0: yeah, thank you, thank you for that. I I think also, um, I mean, we could we could look at numerous psalms um, that, that that talk about how God has has numbered our days and numbered our steps, and um, uh, you could talk about uh, you know passages in, in Daniel or Ecclesiastes that talk about. Um, very very similar topics and so you know if, if if god has if god has numbered my days and i die by a hurricane i mean it, it's it's you know it's hard, it's hard to see how that that falls outside of of his of his providence uh, of any way but um i, I get I, I think to your point that's a really good um that's a really good observation to make and and really important that when in, in Reformed theology when we talk about the 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 two wills or the various wills um it's important to note that we don't we're we're not actually conceptualizing this as if God has has numerous you know different faculties of the will. Like I mean, it's not um, it's not as though you know God is is, is double minded or something um, along those lines. We're not uh, we're not we don't actually mean something like that. You're you're right to you're you're right to point out that these really are subsets um, of 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 the of the decreetive will. Um, so that, that that is an important. Uh, an important aspect so um well uh, i mean considering that that we don't have a lot of non uh reformed here in the room i'll, I'll move on uh, we could we could try to play devil's advocate you. but we'll probably get uh, yeah jimmy
3: oh uh, i was going to uh suggest that this might get into a little bit of different territory if you attack the question a little differently um there might be someone who's more of an edwardsian inclination, which I'll lay my cards down and say that I am. And from that perspective, um, every, every moment is created by God. So God is, is directly uh, responsible for everything that's going on. And on that view, um, providence is the way you might conceive of providence really has to do with two different kinds of explanation. There's You, you can think of an author, by, by analogy, who is writing a story. Uh, let's, let's use Tolkien, right? So Tolkien um, has this idea of a story he wants to tell, and he starts writing it. Well, in order to um, have a meaningful story, the... Lore of his world has to make sense. There has to be explanations that are in-world explanations. You can think of Tolkien writing about how Frodo is walking up, or excuse me, being carried up Mount Doom and uh, wrestling with Gollum. And all of those things that are going on in the story kind of have two interconnected or interdependent explanations. One is that, well, Tolkien's writing the story. You know, everything on the page is directly writ by Tolkien there's not one thing that you can point to in the story that he is not directly creating but on the other hand the thing that he's creating has an internal explanation there is this uh, if if you thought of it as like a movie reel although there is a, a sort of external explanation for the thing that's going on On screen, which is the director or the the person who wrote the movie or whatever, but there's also the on-screen explanation. There's there's a vertical explanation and there's a horizontal explanation. So if you think look at it that way, Providence really is. uh, an aspect of creation God God cannot create without doing something providential and God can't do something providential without creating they're both intermeshed and intertwined they're part of one act of making reality what it is
0: i I, I wonder that make, that makes me um, you know I, you you and I have had conversations about about things like this and that, that I'm not sure that that's a view that, that I necessarily hold but but I wonder if... Um, if you would be, uh, you know, kind of amenable to to a Berkeleyan understanding of of of, uh, of Providence and, and uh, why things exist, right? Where, where, are, you, are you somewhat familiar with with Berkeley on on this? Well, uh, still muted, but um, so so for those listening, uh, Berkeley had this had this idea that. Um, for, for something to exist, it had to be observed. Um, and, and so he, he, he asked this question and he started going into, well, you know, when, when I, you know, if I, if I put my water down or my coffee mug down in, in one room and I, and I leave the room um, and, there, and there's no sentient beings left in the room, right, to, to observe my mug, does it, does it still exist, right? It's kind of the, you know, if a tree falls in the wood and no one's around to hear, it, does, does it make a sound type of thing? Well, Barclay's going to answer that. He he thinks that's a real problem. He he, he thinks well, if, if no one's in the room, there's nothing to keep it existing, right? And so he's going to say, "Well, the solution is because is because God uh is 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 uh is observing all things at all times, right? So 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 by God by God's providence and, and sustaining, he is literally in an act of of, of kind of creational Sustaining of all things at every given moment, everywhere, and that's what keeps the world, you know, spinning, so to speak. Um, and so I think that, that that's something that uh, that Jimmy, you might you might uh, have some affinity for, of you like that.
3: Yeah, I've, I'm sorry, I got I'm at work, so I got called right as I was trying to respond to you. But that's it's funny that you say that because if Chris Matthews is is listening to this podcast, his ears are perking up, and he nodding his head willingly saying yes 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 we should all be more berkeleyan i don't know if i i don't know if i go that far into the idealism uh sort of point of view but uh i i would agree that 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 perspective is definitely um i mean that that was more jonathan edwards point of view so yeah yeah, i agree with you
0: okay all right well uh uh no, no one here uh, is, is is really gonna gonna fight for the non-reform. So uh, for those listening, that I, I think that's just a, an interesting question to think about. If if you generally have a problem understanding um, what reform people mean when we talk about the two wills, and yet you want to say on the one hand God doesn't doesn't desire. Uh, hurricanes and tsunamis that kill people, and yet he he allows it uh, because he does desire some other greater good, or wants to allow something, or avoid some some other greater evil, or something like that. You really are making statements um, that 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 are <laughs> that are roughly synonymous to what a reformed person means when we talk about uh, the different wills of God. So um, thank you for that. All right, uh, another one. Moving on. This one I, I do have a little bit of a, of a longer lead into it, but it'd be interesting to get your, some of your thoughts here. Here we're going to deal a little bit more with with uh, uh, with with kind of a hermeneutical theology and, and how how we understand passages and and and, uh, and while doing theology. So uh, one of the questions that that I that I that I want to ask is about Spider Man, right? So uh, so uh, imagine that that Spider Man stops a bank robbery. Right? Now, while it's true that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, is it more accurate to say Spider-Man stopped the bank robbery or Peter Parker stopped the bank robbery? And, and why do you think that we answer the way that we do? Now, if someone said, Spider-Man stopped the bank robbery, I don't think any of us would really say, well, you're lying. You need to be honest. You need to be more transparent with what you actually mean. You, you should really only say, Peter Parker stopped the bank robbery. Right? Right? uh i'm actually you know i've been thinking about this for some time and i and i still can't i haven't been able to find there there is a fallacy and i can't think of it you know maybe uh, Matt or, or Jimmy, you guys are like walking books, uh, a dictionary on, on these things. Maybe you'll you'll help me out with this. There there is a fallacy in 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 how you describes someone's view. There's a nice and neat tidy term in philosophy for this kind of misrepresentation by by equivocation, but I, but I'm just blanking on it. So let me try to explain what's happening and why I think it's a problem. Uh, let me, let me first really quickly uh, state the difference between an analytic statement and a synthetic statement. So an analytic statement is something that just is definitionally true, right? So, so all bachelors are unmarried. Peter Parker is Peter Parker. They're, they're simply tautological. Uh, it, it's a tautological truth by definition, right? That's, a, that, that's an analytic statement a synthetic statement is something that's proven true by evidence or is something that's not definitionally necessary but still true. For example, that elephants are mammals or that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Now, this can cause some really interesting conceptual issues when we try to slide between the two in an equivocal manner. So imagine, again, that Spider-Man stopped this bank robbery. Is it true to say that Peter Parker stopped the bank robbery? Well, in a sense, yes, it is. But in a more proper sense, uh, to say that Peter Parker stopped the bank robbery, um, it's it, it, it's I'm sorry, it's not more proper to say that Peter Parker stopped the bank robbery rather than saying Spider-Man stopped the bank robbery. Now, generally I found when I, when I bring this up is that we, we all intuit that it's proper in a way, in, in a more real way to say that Spider-Man stopped the bank robbery. Because while it's synthetically true that Peter Parker stopped the bank robbery because Peter Parker is Spider-Man, The concept Spider-Man has certain conceptual components and connotations that Peter Parker does not. It's more accurate to say that Spider-Man did it because the concept of Spider-Man is the public hero persona in the suit, slinging webs and stopping bad guys. So while it's true that Peter Parker does that, Peter Parker is not an analytical synonym for Spider-Man. They have different properties. The concepts just aren't identical. So I, I am going somewhere with this. This leads me to the relevance uh, to, to a, a biblical discussion and, and some criticisms that, that Calvinists get uh, when, when non-Calvinists try to say that if Calvinists want to be honest about our theology or something like that, that we should say, Jesus died for the sins of the elect, rather than saying something like, Jesus died for the sins of the world. Now, what's interesting is that there's a kind of reductionistic oversimplification happening where they seem to think that the elect and the world in Calvinism are analytically identical. So in the same manner as the bank robbery here above, while it's true that in the final analysis only the elect have their sins atoned for, The concept of the elect is not an analytic synonym for the concept of Jesus dying for the sins of the world in kind of the nondescript sense of the expansion of the gospel for all the nations. The latter is more about the idea of opening wide the gates to all men from every tribe, tongue, and nation and not merely inclusive of the Jews. Now, while those who who, uh, who come and they come to salvation will be the elect, that doesn't mean that we can simply substitute one term for the other as if they're analytical synonyms. So when the Calvinist preaches the gospel, we need to go into... Uh, you know, we we don't sorry we don't need to go into more narrowly construed concepts like election to describe who Jesus died for or or feel the pain of some kind of intellectual dishonesty or bait and switch as if as if when we're when you know if we're open air preaching or evangelizing to someone we we shouldn't say you know for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes and what we really should say is that God loved the elect so that when the elect believe right that's that that really doesn't accurately represent those concepts are not are not analytically identical we precisely mean the concept the world when we say that jesus died for the sins of the world because we are referring to the fact that christ died in a general sense for more than the jews that there's expansion to the gentiles and he died uh for for his people scattered across the world we don't need to treat what may be synthetic synonyms as if they're analytic synonyms. Now, again, uh, I know there's a phrase for that type of equivocation, but it's totally excuse like me. Uh, Matt, Jimmy, anyone here? Can someone <laughs> help me uh, with, the, with, with that? What type of equivocation? Or, uh, or, or generally, what are, what are some of your thoughts on, on that type of criticism that, uh, that, that Calvinism and Reformed soteriology gets from, from our non-Calvinist uh, brothers and sisters?
1: I agree with you, and I don't remember the fallacy. There is one; <laughs> I just can't think of it. I, when you brought up the first analogy, I was thinking it was like an alter ego fallacy or something like that. But I thought that's not going to flip.
3: Absolutely right. I remember um, this is a big problem for Descartes, right? Because Descartes tries to argue, "Oh, I can, I can doubt that I have a body, but I can't doubt that I have a mind," and then. Arnold and, and others responding to him point out, "Hey, you know, the problem with that is that uh, intentional states like doubt have this kind of special property, uh, or, or I should not say, property. They have a special characteristic. They don't, they don't work straightforwardly like that. You can't, you can't treat them. Uh, you know, it's like saying uh, uh, Batman is not Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne is not Batman, so they can't be the same person. It's like making hey, that mistake. So it is an alter ego uh, problem. I cannot remember for the life of me what that's called." But it's it's funny and I I, it's it's a very prominent issue. I thought your point about reductionism was right on. I think it really has to do with uh, uh, maybe more the word "saves" than the words "elect" or "the world," because to think that Jesus saves people involves no less than. you know atonement made for the elect but it involves so much more than that right i mean even when jesus dies one could argue that he dies for everyone every human being on the planet and that there are certain benefits that every every man from the the very first man created to the very last man born uh experiences just because jesus died uh to atone for the elect so i just it, that word is, is definitely being reduced to something that uh, scripture doesn't doesn't feel necessary to to break it down like that.
0: Yeah, and, and that that's that's you know now is a is a really good time you you brought it up to to mention that uh, that it's simply that it's simply wrong to say um, that that Calvinists de- deny that Jesus died for this, for the whole world. Right. It could be, because we're going to say in one sense, the, you know, the, the death of Jesus for the whole world. Uh, there, there are common grace elements, um, uh, you know, that that that, uh, that Christ procured for the whole world, it, that there's there's reconciliation that happens. I mean, the, the, you know, in, in, in Colossians uh, 2 it talks about reconciling all things to himself. Well, we don't take that to be a soteriological passage in the sense that, uh, you know, if Christ, if Christ died for all things, well, that means he died, you know, as the substitutionary atonement for slime mold, right? Well, that's that's just not what we mean in those passages. But we can say, well, I mean, Christ died to reconcile the whole world, um, to reconcile all things. Um, there, there's there's kind of that that eschatological element to it, where it applies to all things. There's common grace elements that that that's procured uh, in 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 defeating uh, in defeating the power of the devil over the nations. Right. Well, well, th- that's I not would... just the, the devil's power over the elect within the nations. That that's breaking the, the bonds uh, of the devil and his power over all the nations. Um, so there yeah. there are these common grace elements in the in, in the way that that Christ procured his victory um, uh, for for literally. I mean, I mean, I would say you know all without exception in the way that the you know the non-Calvinists would mean it uh, here when when we're talking about the elect. We're talking about the the we're we're talking specifically about the atonement for sin, the, the you know, the penal substitutionary atonement where Christ died in the place of sinners, he took their specific sins upon themselves, he took the penalty due for their sin, and so on and so forth. That 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 one now I you know I'm not gonna say it's a small part of the atonement, it's you know it's it's you know the biggest part point of the atonement. Um, but it's not the only thing, and so, so Jimmy, you're absolutely right to say it's 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 not even accurate to say that a Calvinist doesn't mean uh, that Christ died for the whole world and only the elect, because we only mean that with regard to one part of what the death of Christ accomplished.
3: Yeah, I I love that you bring up the the dethroning of of the devil because that kind of gets into the ascension. Which you know, I think back to like Sproul's comment that that's something Christians always forget to bring up. Like you know, Jesus, Jesus didn't just die and come back from the dead, but he ascended. He's literally the king of the cosmos controlling all history right now. He, he is the king in this moment over the world.
0: Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts before we, uh, we move on? Nope. All right. Uh, next one. I, I have two more. Um, the last one is probably going to be the longest. I, I think it'll be the one that that takes up uh, probably about 30 to 40, min- 30, 40 minutes. minutes. Uh, it's a longer lead in. Uh, it's a more complex issue. Uh, but before that, I want to do a, kind of a softball one, a sociological one. Um, uh, dealing with uh, whether or not some some criticisms that come against Calvinism are, are even consistent, or if we can do kind of a, a, you know, flip a kind of reductio against the critic uh, and and deal with some comments about cage stage Calvinism. So uh, for those of you who don't know what cage stage is, cage stage is like, you know, when someone first becomes uh, in, in in this case, they're going to say when someone first becomes a Calvinist, they like froth at the mouth because they're, they're like all they can think about is like doctrines of grace, and they just want to shout like uh, you know Romans nine and Ephesians one to people and 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 call everyone a heretic and all that kind of stuff. So um, okay, so uh, there they' o- over the last uh, few weeks, I I've I put out some polls in, in various groups in various places um, asking about. Uh, doubt among Calvinists and non-Calvinists, right? Because, because the non calvinist is going to come to the Calvinists and say, there's something in your theology that specifically undermines Christian assurance. And that is that if God has predestined all things, you can't know that you're elect, right? You can't know that you're truly saved because maybe God has predestined you to be one of those people who thinks you're saved when you're not, Right. And they're going to say, well, this this fundamentally undermines assurance. And and, you know, I, I've done a lot of episodes and, and, and written a lot of content re- re- rebuking or not rebuking, rebuffing, uh, re- responding to that type of criticism and responding to it theologically and showing why the theology of that, why their criticism doesn't line up. But I but I started thinking about this. and I started, you know, I, I thought, well, if that criticism were accurate you would think it would kind of rear its ugly head in, in Calvinism, and that Calvinists would uh, would experience higher rates of, of, of doubt or anxiety about their salvation when they sin. Right. Because if you have this like built in defeater for your for your Christian assurance within the theology, you would expect that more people would have that kind of cognitive dissonance and they would experience that. All right. So so I so I asked these questions and I asked them in in identical ways. Right. So the only thing that I changed between the two uh, was whether or not the question was for a Calvinist and whether if when they with it, when they sinned, they had any type of anxiety or doubt about if they were elect, because that's what the original claim was. And for the non-Calvinists, rather than elect, I put saved, right? Because that, that's going to be the, really the, the synonymous category in a lot of non-Calvinist uh, uh, views. Right? And so I asked them their their level of doubt. Now, now, I understand that this is obviously an unscientific poll and it's it's not a huge sample size. We're dealing with about, a, you know, 100 or so people. But, you know, it, it's coming from the group of people who typically— uh, you know, I'm I'm having these conversations with and they're making these accusations. Okay, so when non-Calvinists say that Calvinism leads to the lack of assurance, the polls seem to say that it really is like the pot calling the really light gray couch black. Uh, Again, uh, it doesn't mean that Calvinism is true, just that the rumors of its undermining of assurance are, are greatly exaggerated. So the polls came back wildly uh, <laughs> skewed. Um, Non-Calvinists uh, experience higher rates of, of doubt and anxiety about their status uh, in Christ and if they've lost their salvation or if they were ever saved to begin with, all that kind of stuff, at a rate of like three to one compared to a Calvinist. It, 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 was, it was not even remotely close, right? Um so so I I I think that's really really Interesting um, considering that the group that experiences this higher rate of doubt about their salvation when they sin are the people that saying the other view is the one that undermines assurance. So, so that to me was was really interesting. They're, they're also the group um, that, that tends to say that, that Calvinists are the ones that are in the cage stage, right? So so that that cage stage just is this Calvinistic thing. Um, and so here I, I just want to kind of, kind of pull the curtain back and say cage uh, stage. Yes, there are cage stage Calvinists, mea culpa, mea culpa. We've all been there at some point. We all can be a little bit snarky, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, typically they'll be like, oh, well, you know, James White is so arrogant and rude and, and sure he can be snarky and blunt, but to be honest, I, I don't see Calvinists being the ones who are calling people evil and deluded and demonic and you're deceived by Satan and all that kind of... You know, again, are there like the fringe Calvinists? Sure, sure, yeah. But that really happens a lot to Calvinists or non-Calvinists. So it got me thinking that I I think Cage Cage really is a mat is kind of a selection bias really so right so so non-calvinists aren't going to really notice their non-calvinist cage stage right the the arminian cage stagers or the the provisionist cage stagers because those aren't the people they're butting heads against right so they're not they're not really observing those those types of realities they're gonna they're butting their head with cage stage you know with calvinists and so they're gonna see the cage calvinists whereas calvinists like myself i you know i i see some cage stage calvinists but i you know. I get, call, you know, <laughs> I get called, you know, I get called all names under the sun uh, from from non-Calvinists uh, on, on the regular. So, um, so it seems to me that there there really is just some type of of, of selection bias that's happening and seeing cage stage among only that other group uh, and not in one's own group. So, so what do you guys what do you guys think? What do you about the polls about assurance and about and about these you know you know calling each other cage stage? What, are, what do you what do you guys think?
2: Well, I saw some of the uh, poll results on this and yeah, it's for sure true. Like there's not really a whole lot of uh, ambiguity there, I guess I would say is like, it's pretty clear that the people that consider themselves, you know, the free will thinkers, or if you want to call it that, you know, the, the people that think they're the ones determining things are the ones that have the least amount of assurance which is just it it seems backwards to me but at the same time it's kind of like well free will isn't a little bit circular so i can expect it too so
0: yeah I, i i definitely thought it was an interesting outcome dave what are your thoughts
4: I think that the cage stage is, is, is very similar to a lot of things in the Christian life, where a Christian learns about something that is magnificent and glorious and gets really, really excited and full of zeal and punts all of his wisdom. And that's, that's, usually, that's usually the error in our brothers and sisters, no matter where you come from, when you learn something that is so profound. is You get really, really excited about it. And uh, you you don your crusader armor, and then you get out there and realize you're the only one on the battlefield.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, lots of people have already have already died in that battle and just don't want to keep keep battling it uh, over and over again.
4: Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Here, here, I think uh, you know the the term that that I use. for it really is 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 fundamentalism. And I and I don't mean it in kind of the historic capital F fundamentalism of the early 20th century and on. I mean in, in that regard, I think most people in this room would be a capital F fundamentalist. We 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 largely I think most people here affirm the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Uh, but here, you know, the the kind of the lowercase F where we're talking about very in-group, out-group um, very kind of an, you know, anti-intellectual to a certain degree, although not always. Um, at least, you know, even people who aren't anti intellectual can be rather anti-intellectual and in, in how they handle contrary sources or contrary data. Um, you know, some someone could be a cage stage, you know, Republican or a cage stage Democrat or a cage stage, um, you know, vegetarian. I mean, there's 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 that. You know, you can be a cage stage CrossFitter. I think there's that there's that one joke about. Uh, uh, you know, an atheist, uh, you know, a CrossFitter and, and, a, and a vegan all walk into a bar. And the only reason we know that is because they told everybody within 30 seconds. Right. So they're there. You know, you, you you have this. And Dave, I think you're right, where it's something you're you just get really excited, really passionate about. And you cannot fathom how everybody else doesn't understand it and doesn't see it exactly the same way because it was, you know, it's this major breakthrough uh, for you and everybody else has to know it. Otherwise, you know, they're what is the matter with them? Who, you know, who raised them? Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's very accurate.
3: I wonder if there isn't a Mr. Miyagi problem too, which I mean to say, uh, I wonder if the way Calvinism is taught isn't often a problem because I run into people who, uh, wouldn't even, they will, they will explicitly say they avoid the word Calvinist because they don't want to start, controversy but they affirm that theology and then i run into other people who uh are the kind of cage stagers that you describe so i wonder if hmm, is there something about how a person comes across the idea that makes the difference not obviously i think their personality is going to play a bigger role but is it something that can be helped avoided by teaching it in a way that doesn't produce pride or lack of wisdom
0: yeah i think i think the pedagogical question is is always an important one to to think about how we're how we're describing it and how we're saying it and how we're uh you know you know how we're presenting ideas
1: it can be an imbalanced focus uh when you start out and um you know there's a difference between forcefully injecting it to someone and just saying hey this is, you know the main point you got to focus on here and uh focus on these points versus you just answer it when you're asked if you get asked it a lot that doesn't make you a case stager, it's just you get asked questions a lot about uh Calvinism or reform theology but that's that'd be a different uh motivation than um yeah trying to have the the narrow focus of why well, I just Better get everyone I talk to to believe these these doctrines, you know, just harp on it, harp on it, harp on it. you got to give them the grace to digest it and, uh, you know, come to that understanding that uh, at a particular point in time, they're just not going to get it, maybe immediately. Um, some people, you know, want to study out each aspect uh, of, like, say, each point because they, they heard this argument and they hear this other argument and they're trying to compare the two and can't wait for immediate decision on the spot. So there's about uh, having grace uh, with that as well, and uh, there's that inclination when someone gets acclimated to something like all the stuff you brought up there. They get you know a particular hobby or something like that. That's just their main driving focus, um, and then everything else just falls by the, by the wayside there, and they get, they kind of lose that balance.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I was going to say it might be also a matter of some form of like progressive sanctification too because um what like when you first become a Christian you just want to tell everybody uh you don't have your roots down yet. You know, you don't really know all the ins and outs of what the theologies are. And so you just go out spouting things because it means something to you. But at the same time, you don't really know that much. So when it comes across, it's kind of like, well, what is this going on here that this person is saying and doesn't seem to line up with what I see? And that's where I think sanctification is really important, because as we grow in our walk with Christ, we sort of get purified. You know, we come across more arguments and we um, become across more, you know, hate to say it, but rude people that... um are really in my, in what I've come across is those rude people are in some regards a fire that purifies you and you learn how to address things the next time with more grace, with more gentleness and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic, um, I mean, that's a fantastic insight. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, uh, realize that that cage stage it typically is something people grow out of um, and and that largely is, is due I think to to exactly what you said I mean that, that that's a that's a great observation that that God uses those um, almost in and uh, maybe in, in not such a positive kind of iron sharpens iron but in, in a really uh, real way that, that you know kind of rubbing shoulders with people who disagree with us within the church um, uh, is going to inform our view, but also is going to inform how we, how we talk to each other and how we uh, engage with each other on these, on these ideas where we really disagree um, and have some, some major disagreements about it. Um, I think that that's, that's really, really big. All right. So I'm going to go to the last, uh, to the last topic. Um, I, I, I do have a, a little bit larger of a, of a lead in for this one um, because it's, it's, it's much more complex. Um, so, uh, th- this is going to deal with um, with libertarian uh, libertarian free will, um, and um, dealing with our our intuition, um, and dealing with um, some some arguments um, about um, uh, libertarian free free will, and, and some of the ways that we understand that. Uh, in relationship to to God, so that, I'm going to break this up into two sections, um, and the first one is uh, is based on some some uh, some comments that I've made recently um, and some reflections that I've had about um, the argument that libertarian free will just is the intuitive, uh, you know, kind of the folk understanding uh, of free will, um, and 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 the the more that I've studied, the more that I've thought about that. I I just I, I find that type of argumentation. Um, not accurate um, and, and somewhat mis- misleading. So, um, so, so, you know, I'll just state plainly that, that, that it's just simply not the case, I think, that our intuition is that we have libertarian free will. Um, from all the studies I've seen, there, there, was, a, there was a big study um, that was put out, I can put the, the links in the show note for this, or I can put it in, in Discord, um, that, that came out uh, and showed that this, this simply is not the case. Right. It was a meta study of a bunch of different studies. And it just showed that libertarian free will um, kind of this this uh, if, if you if, if you start trying to define what libertarian incompatibilism is, it starts to kind of uh, become <laughs> become a very weird. Uh, the more you think about it, a very weird metaphysical position that somehow we know um, what we would do, even in under identical circumstances, what we did do in some metaphysically possible other world. Right. It, like, our, th- that's just not our intuition when we start thinking about what our freedom is, right? So, so libertarian freedom requires that we have this thing called categorical ability, right? The categorical ability is, is necessary uh, for, for the type of freedom um, that, that's sufficient for, for moral responsibility, right? And, and, and categorical ability is the ability to choose other than the thing we do in the actual world, even if all conditions were identical, right, including all conditions, all context, including what we wanted to do. So even if I wanted to do something, you know, even if, 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 if I wanted to drink my coffee and that's the only thing I wanted to do, there's some possible where, where I chose not to do that right? That's just not the intuition that people have. So, so my intuition just isn't that we have this categorical ability to do otherwise, right? I I just don't have this intuition that under identical circumstances, with all things being equal, including my desires, that I could have this metaphysically unobservable counterfactual ability to choose other than what I in fact chose, right? I, I just, I think if we're being honest, I don't think, Anyone has that intuition. What we do have an intuition for is is when we're making free and morally responsible choices that we aren't being forced or coerced to do what we do, even if we didn't want to do it. Right. So, so the, we we have this idea that we're, we're we're being we're being free, we're being morally responsible, um, that that we're not being forced to do something that we wouldn't have wanted to do, or that or that were free that, that in that if i had wanted to do something else then i could have right so so in the morning when i drink my coffee i want to drink my coffee so i drink my coffee and i feel that that's a free choice because i know that well if i didn't want to drink my coffee then i wouldn't have drinking my coffee right that that type of that type of conditional difference where where there is a conditional difference in those they're not identical circumstances um that 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 feels much more like what my intuition is that's nothing outside is forcing my will to choose what it chooses um as you know so as long as i'm doing the thing that i want to do without force or coercion that i that i'm free um and that i that i if i wanted to do differently i i could have so when i when i reflect on my experience of freedom that that just is what my intu- intuition is Right. So, so again, this morning I had coffee with, with cinnamon and almond milk. Right. So, you know, none of you guys judge my coffee choices. I know like some of you want like, you know, black and you want to mix like car oil in it to make it like really manly. Uh, I like mine with cinnamon and almond milk. So uh, I think that I freely choose that. Uh, I chose that this morning over drinking orange juice. Why? Well, because nothing forced me against my will to choose it. That, that I, I chose what I wanted to do. And and had I wanted to indulge and use creamer instead of almond milk, then I could have ha- I could have done that if I wanted to, um, right? So so in those cases, I, I think uh, it, it, I think that I am free as long as I can choose the thing that I want to do, and, and and that if I wanted to do something else, I could have done something else. I'm not being forced or manipulated. There's nothing working against my will, like brainwashing or mind control or a gun to my head or something like that. A- and I think that's really it. That that's that's my intuitive experience of free will, and, and a lot of these studies bear out that that's the case. That absence of, of force, um, that that we really do uh, have free will. So so if that's the case, and I'll, I'll you know I'll open this up here in just a second. But if that's the case, I really think that libertarians, libertarian incompatibilists. Really need to stop making the simple bald assertion that libertarianism just is the the folk intuition that, well, you know, well, we, you know, we, we just have this intuition that we're free. And so therefore, libertarian freedom is true, right? That's, that's a huge equivocation between Yes, we. I do think we have intuition that we're free, uh, and that you know someone like a hard determinist, you know, a, a, you know, a deterministic incompatibilist is 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 is, uh, is undermined from that, that intuition. Um, but I, I I just don't think that that saying that libertarianism just is the folk view because people intuit that they're free. I just don't think that's going to move the discussion along because that seems to beg the question that f- to feel free just is to feel libertarianly free. That seems to be an equivocation too far. Yeah, uh, <laughs> getting, getting, some, uh, getting some comments about my coffee and, and, and cream wow. choices here. <laughs> so uh, be, besides my, my, my super straight and super cool taste in coffee, uh, what do you guys think? Hey Tyler, yes, yes. David. I want
4: to push back on just the, the first point that you made just a little bit, um, because it seems to me that the intuition of most people is selfishness, and to be self to be selfish or rather self inclined is to um, think in that kind of uh, uh, freedom, that kind of like autonomy. So it might be the case that what is really intuitive is just the fact that we are all self inclined.
0: What do you mean by by self incline?
4: Yeah, so it means that like uh, when when you make when a when a decision comes upon you, um, it seems to be what is what is first and foremost uh, presented is what is what is selfishly beneficial.
0: Okay, how? So, okay, keep ahead. on. Sorry.
4: No yeah, and and that would that would seem to me to be some sort of I, I don't I, I agree with you in the in the broader sense that we don't uh, metaphysically have it, but I, I I would think that it's some sort of like either deceptive lie or some sort of um, sin of everyone generally that their selfishness precludes them in their decision making. it would seem like like there's some sort of free will because why would why would I not be in control of all my affairs you know that kind of like yeah selfish attitude
3: no I was just going to clarify because I think I agree with Dave but I, I would put it that I think what Dave is and Dave you can correct me if I'm wrong but I think what you're saying is because people are born into sin they're naturally inclined to think of themselves as their own gods. That's the selfishness that you're talking about. And therefore, they think of themselves as independent, self Right,
4: right, right. I guess that's the better way to say it. Yeah, independent, autonomous, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So if so, if that's what you're saying, well, well, then I, I mean, I I, I'm I really agree with,
4: with you. your broader point. though. Yeah. I'm not I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying I think the the reason why they find it intuitive is because the perception is rooted in that kind of selfishness. I 100 percent agree with that. I think that's spot on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so I I think there's there's something really that. The, you're hitting on something um, that that's important, right? So, um, not not to give a shameless plug for, for one of my previous uh, ep- episodes um, uh, that that went through my uh, my senior thesis when I when I was an undergrad dealing with the noetic effects of sin. Um, but but I you know I, I, I think what you're hitting on really is that part of one of the, part of what the noetic effects of, of of sin did was it really it really broke. Um, the the creator creature link, right? So so whereas you know Adam and Eve before the fall, I think would have um, done done all things with the realization that they just are a creature, right? That 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 to understand the first thing about themselves and their place in creation is to understand that they are a creature in God's creation, and so there would have been that that proper ordering of their belief about their context. Right. So so they they would have had, uh, you know, I'm not sure before, that you know, they 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 ate a salad that they would have this like self-awareness of, (laughs) you know, I'm a creature eating this salad and, and you know, they would get nothing done if they had to do that. But I I think there would be this intrinsic um, kind of dispositional awareness um, that 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 really this salad is uh, from from, you know, God's creation and they're eating it as part of God's. God's creation, and and that part of what the what sin did is it really broke that, and so there, there's this disconnect, and so we start doing all things without reference uh, to God and without reference to understanding um, that we are creatures living in uh, God's creation, and I think what you're hitting on is that there is this there's this kind of general. Uh, autonomous malaise that has gone over, uh, you know, all of our thinking and all of our, all, all of our, uh, you know, uh, our, our intuitions and, and and perceptions. And so there's this there's this very real sense where, um, where 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 I have to be free in this kind of radical sense, um, be, because well because I, I I'm 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 autonomous. I have to be autonomous. And we see this. You know I you know the, a few of us here are presuppositionalists and we're gonna see this when we start um, debating um, you know people like David Paulman or or you know if you if you start listening to um, uh, capturing Christianity uh, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on, on I'm blanking on the philosopher's name uh, Jimmy you guys did a response right,
3: yeah. oh, David Paulman oh sorry did do we already cover that
0: oh. no 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 what the, the, the philosopher who's on capturing Christianity he's the he's the he's an actual philosopher <laughs> What's that? I wouldn't
4: call him a philosopher. He's more of a host. Cameron?
0: No, 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 no. He he did an interview. One we'll
4: of his
1: guests, Rasmussen. Yeah.
0: No, it wasn't Rasmussen. Anyway, How? Chris? Yeah, uh, How? Uh, Richard How? Uh, Richard Howe, Howe Right. Dr. So Dr. You know, when you Howe. start when you start reading through, you know, when you start hearing some of these things, it's it, it's almost this 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 radical sense of I have to be autonomous. Um, so you guys have to be wrong, <laughs> um, in order for any of this. work i mean that might be a little bit of a crass simplification of it um but that but that really is um kind of the sentiment that seems to be going underneath it so i think dave i think you really are hitting on hitting on that 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 is part of what drives that intuition um, in that direction
3: i have uh i have three comments uh one, one so two are prefatory one is that i think the fact that libertarians are so quick to and leans so heavily upon intuition is uh, something of a defeater against that position. I think right off the bat, there's something suspicious about a view that has to so weakly incline itself to, well, this is just how I feel about the matter. Yeah, okay. I mean, we see how that, well, that works out in mathematics or logic or science, like that's that's for children not philosophers it's It's also self-defeating
4: when it comes to like doing any sort of um doctrine you know like we don't we don't approach the scripture like that
3: exactly exactly That's just just childish wishful thinking the second the second thing uh that i would point out is is what is the epistemological entailment of what you pointed out dave that like, like we should expect our baseline intuitions to be a problematic matter that's something that would require sanctification and that's not to say that intuitions we oh, Right. Freedom. precisely
4: precisely yes yeah. absolutely yeah so it shouldn't shock us that we have the wrong understanding about our own freedom exactly because exactly. It, i mean adam and eve did you
3: know right so but those two things said i do agree i think with the with the main of your point tyler that uh, a uh, a compatibilist can easily refer to his intuitions as those that were not originally uh, libertarian or incompatibilist in nature. And I, I, just as a, as a, a example, I remember as a child finding Calvinism so easy to accept because the idea that the objects of my experience, the idea that the world around me is, Determined by the hand of a creator is just uh, something so obvious to me. As, as a child looking around, I knew there must be a reason why things are the way they are. This is not just random. Something is as uh, simple and negligible as the distance between where I'm standing now and the concrete. There must be even a reason for that. There's nothing out there that doesn't have a reason why it's the way it is. And if you look at if if you think the world is rational like that, I think you would be much more inclined to be a compatibilist and reason from there than to to start with something like I have this very specific, special kind of uh, volition.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I think you're hitting on hitting on something there. I, I don't know if I would discount completely arguments from intuition um, as much. I I think they do. Um, uh, you know, when we're talking about warranting congi- con- conditions, I mean, I I think there is a sense where we we, we do. Um, uh, you know, arguments from intuition can lend uh, to warrant, but but yeah, I think I think you're right that that intuition is something that has to be. Um, it is something that has to be sanctified. We wouldn't we shouldn't be surprised when we find um, that, that, that our intuitions are, um, are not generally accurate. Um, so,
4: so yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that last bit that you said there. Yeah. Cause, uh, there's, there's many things that I think we accept as norms that are intuitive, um, that work and that might be more of a utilitarian thing, but I, I definitely see where you're coming from. All
3: right. So, yeah. And just to clarify, I'm sure. not, I'm not suggesting by any means that intuitions are, epistemically useless just just that um t- to suppose that they are sufficient in the conversation between libertarians and not libertarians is a is a very
4: i'm uh, speaking about god i totally agree <laughs> yeah that's just bad
1: yeah <laughs> it's loose well it's like common sense one man's common sense is our man's absurdity uh the door exactly. swings both ways uh so it's very unstable ground so um just want to touch on the you know, categorical versus conditional. It seems like categorical is just ignoring, obviously conditions. There's no disposition, uh, either way. It's just, uh, you know, uh, dead center on the crosshairs and isn't off, off kilter at all. Um, to where, uh, I think the question you have to ask is uh, how does a person make a, a choice contrary to who they are? If, uh, you yeah, you say the, um, all things being equal in everything, include your no prior disposition or whatever, then you make a uh, choice contra- or who's making the contrary choice then? Well, if it's really uh, a contrary choice, what's it contrary against? Is it contrary to them? Because then how can they be making the choice if it's really contrary to them? It's just ignoring the conditional element um, entirely when that's the actual specifics that they should really be focusing on, not the categorical ability just kind of ignores the nature of the will it's kind of like this neutral f- free-flowing thing um to where it's not disposed one way or the other it's just practically uh indisposed yeah neither way right that's not exegetically derived i would say it's just a non-exegetical intuition which <laughs> i agree you get what you brought before i think it was a key point bringing up the no-ic, noic effects of the of the fall As we see what the men do in Romans 1, uh, when Paul's laying out the gospel and the universal bad news, he says there's immediate knowledge of God, but there's immediate suppression. There's a second action they do is exchange the glory of God and giving thanks to him to worshiping the creation, uh, not giving the glory to him. So there's going to be a twofold aspect there brought up. That's all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, one one last area dealing with with libertarian free will, and then I, I think we're going to wrap up. We're we're a little over an hour right now. I, I think we'll get to about an hour and forty five, and, and, and wrap up. Um, and and that is, you know, a, a lot of times um, the argument will be made, um, you know, that that uh, that, that God. Um, that God had to allow libertarian free will, specifically libertarian free will, because without the ability to choose, otherwise you couldn't have true love, right? As as an example, or or, um, or that that uh, or, or you know th- these types of arguments, right? So you couldn't have true love, you couldn't have real freedom, you couldn't have all this kind of stuff without um, uh, without this this contra causal ability to choose other than what chooses, or or or, or something along those those lines. Um, the, and that, that has to be a necessary condition for true love. The problem that I, that I have with this is that it seems demonstrably false in, with, when we consider the Trinity, right? So, so the Spirit, for example, could not have chosen to hate the Father, right? So, so I'm not saying that love and hate are, are somehow antithetical, right? That the Spirit could never hate Full stop. I, I think the spirit hates sin. For example, um, I think I think the spirit uh, I, I think all the persons of the Trinity hate the devil. For example, um, so so it's not that just because God is love, therefore God can't hate for, for you know or, or anything like that. But uh, what what you know what what can happen? What it is antithetical to love is unjustified hate, right? And, and since uh, the Father could never. Uh, justifiably deserve hate, the spirit could never have justified hate for the father. So, if the spirit cannot have unjustified hate for the father, and if the spirit could never be justified in hating for the father, then the spirit can never have hated the father. Right? it means the spirit didn't have any option whatsoever could not choose did not have the ability to choose other than loving the father right there's there's no there's no contra causal ability to choose otherwise it is impossible given the nature of God and the persons of the Trinity and so and so we're right back I think to 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 um, uh, to where we started, right? So, 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 if the spirit can't have unjustified hate for the Father, then then there's no this. There's, you don't have libertarian freedom. But no one's going to say that the spirit and the Father don't have genuine, true love, right? So, so, it's just it, it's just false to say um, that uh, that 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 the ability to choose this contra causal ability to cho- choose otherwise is necessary is a necessary condition for true love. By the way. If the libertarian incompatibilist wants to give the answer, but he wouldn't because his nature is love as a kind of rejoinder, either because they think that it would mean his nature has determined his choice to love or that it means that that true love and and uh and unjustified hate are a logical contradiction, and therefore you know the spirit can't do it because the spirit is truth and God can't make contradictions realize that the libertarian then is giving a very Edwardsian compatibilist answer that the nature is the thing determining the desire. And, And since God's nature is necessarily his nature, God didn't choose his own nature. He didn't make himself. He didn't create himself. God is necessarily by nature, love. Then it also means that God didn't choose His nature, which determined His desires. Remember, one of the pushbacks that libertarians give to compatibilists is that when we say, "Oh, well, a person chooses this because they desire," and they go, "Oh, well, who made his desires? Because they're not free if they didn't choose their own desires, or if, you know, if God gave their nature and and that determines their desires, they're going to say that that isn't sufficiently free. But notice, for God, it, if it's God's own nature. That is here determining and constraining if the spirit can can love or or have unjustified hate for the father, and so it, it is, it's it's perfectly acceptable on a compatibilistic view of freedom, uh, but this would either contradict their own stated libertarian incompatibilism or their their own stated uh, you know agentival uh, incompatibilism. So, either way. <laughs> uh, it seems to me um, that that the true love argument actually works against libertarian incompatibilism and not for it uh, I, I want to open it up to true if you're still here I know that this is like a, a topic of of your interest right now that you're producing some content on it I would love to hear uh, I would love to hear your thoughts not to call you out I don't know if you're on like on mute or in the bathroom or something
2: well I did want to say earlier um. You know, this idea of picking between one choice and another is kind of how the libertarian free willers think about it. And I think this is just almost a false dichotomy because I think in some sense what we will is sort of like the way God wills things. Like, I don't think God's sitting there up in the clouds going, now do I want to give Jimmy the red hat or the blue hat? Like, he just does things. But to a larger point, I want to say um, we are creatures of habit, right? So we do things over the course of our lives. We're going to do the same things uh, a lot, right? So you might say, "Well, I had coffee today, but today tomorrow I'm not going to have coffee." But that that seems to be sort of a super flush, super flux, uh, definition because there's certain things that we do that we do on a regular basis. So because of that, there's, there's cer- there's a certain introduction to new things that we might uh, change our approach in, but with things that are relatively the same, we don't change our mind on those things. So this sort of shoots in the foot, the idea that, well, I could have had coffee, but I could have had tea but it doesn't really matter because you are a creature of habit and you're going to do certain things over and over and over. And so that's where I would say where we have some more uh, freedom is in when our senses or our personhood pick up information about things that are new to us, things that um, are novel or new information or Things we haven't thought about before and then which we have to sort of decide how we're going to go about making a decision on that. But until we get to that bridge or that path or that fork in the road, we're not really going to have a good idea about what we're going to choose. But all the while we've been doing the same things we've been doing, you know, for a long time. So... That's just what I wanted to say about that previous point.
0: Thank you for that. appreciate it. Uh, Jimmy, Matt, anyone?
3: I have uh, I had two comments. One is that I think it's, I really like the Trinitarian uh, demonstration. I think it's stronger than the one I usually think of. But uh, to add to that, even on a human level, uh, I think back to Mark Driscoll's example of a parent who sees their child running out toward a busy lane and counteracts their will by nabbing them up out of the street. It's simply, it's it's, um, ludicrous to suppose that one must respect another's will uh, to love them truly. And the second thing I think of is, is, my goodness, that I don't know what to say to that, but that, um, with as much vehemence as a libertarian feels about how you know allegedly calvinism makes god evil i think this view really makes god evil is it true love for god to write a blank check and play play car salesman and say okay if you just sign on the dotted line if you can do something for me then I'll love you. If you can choose me, then I'll love you. That's, that's not true love. True love is, I stop at nothing to save you. There is no ends of the earth to which I would not go to get you. I ha- <laughs> nothing will stand in the way of you. That's true love. True love has no uh, conditions that will not be met by the person who possesses it. So it just It does great malevolence to the very concept of true love to put this arbitrary condition that someone has to be a respecter of libertarian freedom. If, if that's the case, there really is no true love. There's only merit. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I, so, you know, somewhat, somewhat tangential, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's relevant that, um, I, I mean, I generally push back um, when freedom is used as some type of theodicy, right. Or, or when it's used to um, you know, it's used as kind of a theodicy against um uh against Calvin well Calvinism can't account for for evil and because God determines it all and and all this kind of stuff, right? So so you know I I, I have I have a couple different arguments. There's gonna be a part two to this, you know, Calvinist cornucopia, and there's some some other arguments that I have dealing with with that. Uh, but but I think part of the problem is is that often they fail to differentiate between uh freedom of will and freedom of outcome. Um and and they and and they tend to say, well you know, there, there's evil in the world because um, God wants to have God wants to have free will, um, and, and and well, that just kind of comes with these bad outcomes. Like if you have if you have freedom to love, then you have freedom to hate, right? Well, well, again, I, I think that that's not necessarily the case. Um, but also, when when you put brass tacks to it, and, and and start thinking about that for a moment, that's a really poor answer. Right. Because the instant you make the the proper distinction between freedom of the will and freedom of outcome, um, God is still right back on the hook. Right. Because because, you know, if if you think about, well, uh, okay, so he wants he wants to protect freedom and that's why there's evil in the world. Okay, so, well, that's why there's murder. Right. For example, I'll stay away from like the the the. You know, child assault ones because those are super emotional. So you know, because because murder's less emotional apparently. Uh, but let you know, let's just say that there's uh, you know, God wants to respect our freedom, and, and that's why there's that's why there's theft, for example. Okay, well, if God didn't desire that the theft be actualized, right? There, there's a couple problems. Um, first, it means that the 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 free will of the thief is preserved while the free will of, of the victim is not, right? The, the victim doesn't want to be robbed. What about their free will, right? God, so, so why does God maintain one and not the other? But the, because they collapse free will and freedom of outcome together, right? So they're going to say, well, th- those, are, those, are, those are indistinguishable. But really, uh, someone can choose and try to rob a bank. It doesn't mean that God has to allow them to be successful at it. Right. So so God can preserve if, if this really was the theodicy. Right. God God could have preserved free will, but but prevented freedom of outcome so that every time someone, you know, shot a gun at somebody else and attempt to kill them, that bullet could turn into a marshmallow. Right. That, that, and that could be a, per, you know, some people would say, oh, well, that would violate, you know, natural law. Well, no, I mean, they're, 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 there's easily, uh, you know, conceivable natural laws that would mean that anytime, uh, you know, a, a, a metal object strikes, uh, you know, a person with, with fatal intent, that it turns into a soft object, right? If that happens over and over and over again with, with absolute regularity, well, that just would become a new natural law for us, right? You don't have to have this whole, like, undermining of natural law. And so you, so you really, in, in, in trying to give this free will defense either of love um, or of, of, you know, this preservation of, of freedom as a, as a theodicy, Jimmy, to your point, um, it actually makes the problem worse because now God, is, so on Calvinism, we, you know, we, we talked about the two wills where, where God, dec- you know, God, God doesn't desire, you know, someone to shoot somebody else. But in his decree for his for his providence, he has worked all things together for the good of those who love him and call according to his purpose. There's nothing that falls outside of his plan and his purpose. He knows what the outcome is going to be. It doesn't catch him unawares. It's not outside of his plan or his purpose. It's not outside of his working. There's a reason for it. We might not know what that reason is, but we can know that it's not because he doesn't love us that that happens. Um... But if but if but if you're affirming this as some type of libertarian, then the answer becomes just inexplicable, right? Because God God doesn't want the the the, the murder to happen. Not even in a decreative ultimate sense. He doesn't want. He didn't decree it. Doesn't have a plan for it. He doesn't want it to happen, and yet it happens. Right. And he can could I? have stopped the outcome and still preserve the freedom. So appealing to freedom doesn't answer. It just becomes inexplicable at that point.
3: Yeah. If I can, if I can make your point, maybe in, a, in the strongest way I can think of what you're one way of portraying what you're saying, Tyler, is to say that on the free will theodicy, we can imagine a universe where one individual spends all of his days raping, pillaging, and torturing everyone else such that their wills are overcome and because this rapist is practicing his freedom the free will defense has been satisfied uh, that's a satisfactory world because i mean free will has been protected the free will of this individual raping everyone else
0: yeah well just, I, yeah, I, I, I think i, a, I think a crass libertarian might might not know i mean a molinist isn't gonna come back along and say well that's not the you know that's not the best of the feasible world. And so, you know, that, 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 that the volume of evil might overcome the good of, of that type of freedom. And so that type of world is not one that God could, could feasibly create. Right. So there, there, you know, I, I think in stating it in that type of extreme way, um, it might actually, you know, push it into the bounds where the Molinists might have, uh, an an answer to something like that. Um, but, but your point, your, your point is, is, is spot on that, that, yeah, simply in the preservation of freedom um, that the, the the theodicy isn't doesn't actually serve to solve the problem and it creates it opens up a whole new can of worms and creates um, some more problems than it than it solves um, yeah Matt, Matt I saw you unmute mute there for a minute if you if you had a, a thought
1: uh, those are good points uh, just trying to see what if I can bring in something new there uh oh yeah first one 419 yeah Clearly lays out that we love because he first loved us. Um, and therefore, given, I think, uh, well, that's what maybe a question to ask you, uh, Tyler is um, would you think that um, they're misstrewing the doctrine of uh, common grace and uh, libertarian free will would be an extrapolation of that? Because um, you could have common grace being revealed, you know, in general revelation, something like that but that doesn't necessarily overthrow the didactic teaching of the depravity tax and ability tax regarding the nature of, of uh, the fallen Well, where are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that, 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 I mean, that probably does come from some type of understanding of, of common grace as a, as a farther e- extrapolation. I mean, you could, you could say that a lot of their, um, a lot of their understanding comes from, um, you know, these, 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 these common grace, elements i mean the the, the prescriptive real will really is part of is is part of common grace right it's to curb sin generally um it, it, it's to it's to generally you know um, impress upon um the the heart of all men either by by law or by uh by nature by the imago dei or something like that um uh what what god desires right and 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 so even even the i don't, I don't know if this answers your questions but even even the I get the sense that even the libertarian desire to um, kind of protect the holiness of God for him, right? To, to make God not a moral monster really is this extrapolation from this common grace, um, you know, prescriptive will of, well, well, God doesn't want murder. And so there's no way in the world God could ever have determined uh, anything like that to happen. Um, it, it just seems like a, like an overshot and one, I mean one of the examples that I give just to show that this just is it, it, overshooting the case is you know and and the the astute person who reads the bible can and can generally very quickly tell where I'm going but if i were to say okay well like imagine um that that uh you you heard you heard this about me like through the grapevine someone was like hey did you hear what Tyler did um in order to win a bet um he let he let this guy that he didn't really like very much go to to his favorite best friend and kill his entire family um, just so he could win a bet and once he won that bet he doubled down on the bet and he said yeah you can go do you know he let this guy that he didn't really like go do whatever he wanted to this guy he let him like infect him with with infectious diseases he let him like do all these kind of terrible things to him he let him ruin you know his entire life so this guy just was destitute and, and nothing to love you would be like, "Oh my God! Like Tyler is the worst human being alive. You're terrible," um, because we know that 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 God does not want me to treat other people that way. And yet, I just described God's interaction with Satan and with Job, right? So there, there's there's a sense where where kind of that that sense of trying to protect God's holiness and and and, and protect God's God's righteousness. We're really trying, when, when, when the libertarian does this, they're really kind of extrapolating from that prescriptive will of what our horizontal moral responsibilities is between humans and apply that to God, which really is to make God Zeus. It really, and I, and I don't say that lightly, it really is to imagine God as just this really, really, really big human person with the exact same moral obligations that we have. And that's just not the case. We have to remember the creator-creature distinction um, that that that, uh, that that God is God and we are not. I don't know if that, that kind of answers your question in relation to the common grace.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I was going to wrap like the moral restraints, you know, the conscious, family, magistrate, Christian influence, stuff like that, where uh, I think it's why, you know, maybe back to the original point, maybe just encapsulate it all, you know, back to the intuition thing. People would just on a general uh, revelation they experience some, you know, uh, known that man is flawed and you know uh, uh, evil and stuff like that. But the extent of that uh, is not really bared out until we look at scripture um, and things like that. So our general intuitions, that, I think, it's why scripture is needed to correct our intuitions, uh, especially fallen ones. Um, maybe in our point on the creature, creator, creature distinction, I was just thinking. Uh, how I can play the non-Calvinist here. Uh, you know, it was a great argument from the Trinity and everything like that, and the Capabalistic, you know, deal with the nature of the wills and, and things like that, and reason from creator down to creature. But would they make a distinction there where they'd say, well, God, God's will is immutable, but the creature's will is mutable. And would they try and drive a, a wedge there to try and say, well, that's that's where, like, the split happens there. Um, and therefore you couldn't make that, uh, that analogy, uh, coherent there, because then you'd be blending the, uh, creator creature distinction. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose at that point I would just push back and, and say, well, I mean, I think, on, I, I think in their view, they have that exactly backwards. Right. And, and the example that I give would be like the, you know, the, the, our father prayer. Right. So, so right, where yeah. the Calvinist is going to say, well, well, you know when, when we pray, we're, you know, we, we're not, we're not actually expecting that God is, is, is his will is changing, right? I'm not, I'm not praying something, you know, I, 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 there's, there's nothing that I can say. There's nothing I can pray. There's nothing I can do where God's like, oh, that's, that's brand new information. I guess you've convinced me I'm going to change my mind about this and I'm going to act differently towards you. Right. So as long as, you know, maybe an open theist might say something like that, but, but, you know, Christians don't, Christians don't think that way. Right, we, we, we think that God knows all things. That God God know, knew what He was would do. He knew that I would pray. He knew what we'd do in response. Right, I'm not I'm not changing His mind. I'm not changing His His, his will or His His disposition. But the libertarian, in, in one sense, seems like they need to think that. Right, it's, it it seems like they actually do need to think um, that that for for my prayer to be meaningful, um, I have to be convincing God somehow to, to act differently. Um, and, and, and so when we, when we pray the Lord's prayer, you know, in a Calvinist, you know, when, 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 when we say forgive our, you know, trespasses or let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, um, we don't think that God's like, oh, like, well, I guess now I need to start having my will, <laughs> you know, I, I, because yeah. you prayed it, like, oh, I, I guess my will does need to be done. Like, no, we, we you know, we, 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 don't think that where, whereas, you know, the, the libertarians can say, well, for that prayer to be meaningful, Right. You have to be petitioning for something for God to really be able to do. Um, well, if that's the case, why, you know, either you know, if it's meaningful because God can change to do it, it means, well, his will wasn't being done as, as it is in heaven, uh, which, you know, why is that the case? Um, or it has been. And, and, and that's not a meaningful prayer, in which case, why did Jesus teach his disciples to pray that way? Um, so, so I, so I would push back and say, well, the, I mean, the, the, the immutability um, aspect actually falls uh, in favor of, of of the reform view, not not the libertarian view.
3: Maybe you can turn uh, that back on the libertarian too, because it seems problematic to me to pray to God if He can change in the way that a libertarian might suggest he can, because then, that means that God is not really in control of everything in the universe. There's at least one thing he's not in control of, and that's the, the current state he's in. I mean, he's, he's sort of like a magic genie telemarketer who's getting phone calls from everybody, and he happens to have the power to answer them all at once, but you know, he doesn't know what he's gonna do until he gets the phone call. That is imposed upon him. Right. And uh, why pray to that being? That's, that's not a very competent creator, if you ask me.
0: Right. Which shows, I mean, some of these attributes are, are intimately interlinked, right? Because cause that, 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 that is dealing with immutability. But now you've also shown that, that once you deny immutability, you're also denying a satiety at the same time, right? Because now God is impacted um, in, 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 a, in, a, in a natural way, not just a dispositional way, but a natural way um, by, by his creation. Um, so, you know, the, the, these those, those attributes are definitely, uh, interlinked.
2: Yeah. Just a question that arises is, um, for us that are either compatibilist or determinist, we believe that God foresees everything. Right. And so that opens up the question. And I want to know what you have to say here, Tyler, is that God is the only true, um, being that is has complete free will what are your thoughts on that
0: yeah it's a really it's a really good question and it's something that i think uh, quite a bit it's it's actually uh on the list of things to talk about in the next part of this um because i'm at the point where i'm not sure libertarian freedom in the way that it's described um in a lot of the literature and and really not the way that a lot of people affirm it you know in in facebook groups and stuff like that is even a meaningful concept? So I'm not even sure that God has libertarian freedom. Maybe some in, in some way, in the sense of like um, like where a Molinist might describe limited libertarian freedom, um, which which re- I mean at, at the end of the day, limited libertarian freedom really is just you know, <laughs> compatibilism couched in, in 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 really inconsistent terminology. Um, and, and so I would say um, the the type of freedom that, that God has I think is very similar to the type of freedom we mean in compatibilism. The 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 problem with saying God has compatibilistic freedom is that the immediate question raised is, well, what's the outside thing that's determining God? Right? It's kind of like a euthyphro dilemma. And I think I think if we if we understand, well, God's own nature just is the thing determining God's own desires, it's not actually outside himself in a very similar way that we would we would answer um, the Euthyphro dilemma problem—that's the type of freedom that we have. Some type of, you know, self-determined compatibilism, I think, is the type of freedom uh, that God has, and that He is more free in that sense because He is He is self-determined and, and He's omnipotent and He's sovereign. And he's God, um, whereas we are compatibilistically free in the creaturely sense, um, where that determination is or, is originating in, in in something outside of ourselves in a higher authority. Does that answer your question
2: yep thanks cool
0: all right well uh you know in 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 the spirit of, of libertarian freedom and 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 having prayers be meaningful right what i mean one one objection is uh to, to calvinism from from uh, non-calvinists is uh why present the gospel because the elect are going to be you know saved no matter what and we say well <laughs> because that is the means by which god uses uh, to bring his, his people to himself. So uh, in, in the tradition of those of us who are in these, uh, in these Discord episodes, uh, I think most of us have practiced uh, a hundred of times sharing the gospel with someone, but I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask Matt, because I've heard you do it numerous times. And so I know that you're prepared on, on the cuff um, to, to share the <coughs> gospel with those listening and, and, to, uh, and to encourage um, those of us who have trusted in Christ, our, our hearts to lean on him, uh, and experience the gospel afresh, uh, even more by the power of the Spirit, day in day out. But for those who are who are listening to the podcast who don't know uh, Jesus, uh, um, what must they do to be saved, Matt?
1: Right. They must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe on Him in order to be saved for the righteous judgment of God, because God is holy, righteous, and good, and we are not. We need a Savior. We're guilty sinners before our thrice holy God. And our all over good deeds, uh, uh, man on his best day, or like filthy rising God's sight, We need a Savior, We need absolute perfect righteousness uh, from his hand. That's only obtained by faith in Jesus Christ, who obeyed that law perfectly on his people's behalf, so that those who place their faith and trust in him uh, can stand that perfect righteousness clothed in his righteousness, not derived of their own, but solely imputed with the righteousness of Christ to stand before a just and holy God on the day of judgment, and be absolutely safe from their sins and from the righteous judgment of God, and obtain eternal life we pray that's that they come to that realization by God's grace.
0: Amen. We 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 pray that that all come to know the the joy and the love of uh, of God that we that we have in Jesus Christ. That we're told that uh, there there's nothing in all of creation, not even ourselves, nothing in all of creation that can that can separate us uh, from from His love. That that's that's ours in Christ Jesus and the the, the strength and security and the new life that comes from that. Um, and and just the radical restoration uh, of, of of a life free of the power of sin that 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 can come from that um, uh, greatly I'll appreciate admit that. that. That's good news right there, brother. It is fantastic. It is the, it is the best news. It's the good news. So uh, thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Hopefully, after the recording, you guys can give me some feedback for this for this format, this, this audio version of a Facebook wall uh, that I'm trying to, to test out for the podcast. So uh, I appreciate you all kind of being the, the beta testers for this, and, and hopefully uh, we can fine-tune and see how it goes with that. Uh, thank you all for joining. As always, if you have any uh, questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations, please feel free. Uh, you can reach out to uh, freethinkerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can go to the blog at freethinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. Again, if you're interested in apologetics and answering the skeptic and dealing with Uh, arguments for Christianity and for why we should uh, believe uh, in God and in in, in the sacrifice and and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Uh, the Freethinker YouTube, which is why we're not doing this live, the Freethinker YouTube is really dedicated to that apologetics arm uh, of, of theology and biblical studies. So that's why that's there. Uh, and this kind of in-house discussion is here in the podcast. Uh, so you can check out the YouTube there if you're interested in more of the apologetic side, or you can get all of it together and join us uh, at, at the Freed Thinker group page on Facebook. So again, thank you all for joining. Good night and God bless.